Hey, welcome back to 9394, a music podcast. I'm Travis. I hope you're doing well. I appreciate you joining us today. I have with me today from the band, the Snapcat Bandits, Mike Kropinski. Two strangers brought together thanks to our shared acquaintance, Dustin Lintz, friend of the show, and also a mutual love of PJ Harvey and especially her 1993 album, Rid of Me, which we're going to talk about right now. Check it out. here hey how's it going man how you doing good nice to meet you nice to meet you as well when i have a new guest i usually start the same way which is i ask how we know one another but you and i don't know one another we have a mutual friend dustin so how about telling me how you know dustin dustin Lentz. so basically dustin and i go back about 11 years to 2013. okay dustin at the time was doing nirvana tribute shows i was friends with him through facebook so Mm -hmm. We shared the common interest of Nirvana shows and the tribute shows because yeah. uh, you know a lot of people in our generation love Nirvana. So Dustin would post you know yearly invites for bands to want to participate in the Nirvana tribute shows. So our band, I kind of pushed my way in, so mm-hmm. to speak, with Dustin. I kind of I, I was persistent with him because I didn't know him at the time. I said, yeah, my band would be interested, and so he's kind of like, well. I'll see what I got going on. And I said, well, I can do an acoustic show with a saxophone at the time. He's like, sax? He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of how I pushed my way into his Nirvana tributes. And then we met from there. Yeah. When we did face-to-face, everything was kind of really cool. We shared a lot of common interests and everything musically. And it worked really well. And so that's how Dustin and I were introduced to one another. It was through his Nirvana tribute shows years ago. And honestly, I can't believe it's been 11 years now. It's been a long time. It goes by fast. Dustin is a hype man. He is just like someone that promotes and makes connections. And, uh, you know, didn't surprise me that he would take it upon himself to like make sure I got some guests for this. You mentioned you're in a band. What's the name of your band? The name of the band is called Snapcat Bandits. The Snapcat Bandits? Yeah. People try to confuse it with Snapchat, but we go, no, no, no. There's bandits on the end of the name. So Snapcat 
SNAP and then CAT and then Bandits. And uh, that's the name of our band. And we've been doing some different promotional things with our music. Cool. With Spotify, we started to put our music up that we recorded last year in 2023 on Spotify at the end of the year. It's doing really well. We're getting Great. a lot of positive feedback from it. So we're excited. We're excited for things to come with our band. And I think this is one particular angle and platform that we can use to help people generate interest in our band. And yeah. so I think it, it all kind of works together in the same way. That's probably a good way for bands to, you know, for anyone to get your name out there. And that's partly what I'm doing too, right? And that's why Dustin's <laughs> Dustin's always a, a good scenester. He's always great at like making those kind of connections and helping to uh, push people's ideas forward. I think if there's one thing Dustin is excellent at that a lot of people aren't mm. is getting people together to do something fun for either a good cause or just to have fun. Dustin is really good at gathering people together to do something really fun and interesting. Yeah, his energy level is admirable. I don't have it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sometimes I wish we all had it, right? Yeah, the world would probably have a lot more done. <laughs> So PJ Harvey is who we're talking about today. The album Rid of Me from 1993. Do you remember how you got into this album? Yeah, actually what I was doing was channel surfing back in the day and I came across MTV. That time the MTV played videos. Okay? Yeah, good ones even. Yeah, really good ones. I noticed the video for 50 Foot Queenie, the song 50 Foot Queenie, mm -hmm. and it came out like a buzzsaw. I mean, all of a sudden, the music's in your face. You see her with her sunglasses on. There's a white background. The music just really hits you in the face. And I remember stopping and, and watching the video and I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen this artist before. Yeah. And the song is only like, it's less than three minutes long. So it went by really fast. Okay, mm -hmm. I was sucked in, it went by really fast. And I said, man, I gotta hear this again. prompted me to explore the world of PJ Harvey's music. And at the time, I didn't know that that was her second record that she had released. There was one before that. Yeah, Dry. Yeah, and that she was just starting to gain popularity in the United States. So then that video ended up on Beavis and Butthead show once, oh. and I saw it again there. And from then on, it kind of just caught on. And so that's what generated my interest in wanting to find out more about PJ Harvey. You know, I, I have no idea how tall she actually is, but I bet she's like, 
five foot, five two. She seems like she's diminutive, but she's huge. Like her personality, just like seeing her in those videos, like 50 foot Queenie indeed. I mean, something so cinematic about her appearance. The cover of this album, Rid of Me, you know, this, this is just something very charismatic just about her look. Then you bring in her actual style, her lyrics, her vocalizations, what the band is coming up with. Definitely a force to be reckoned with and super underappreciated, I think. I mean, just really not properly rated. I think based on her timeline and the benchmarks that PJ Harvey has laid out for herself over the course of her career, because she's done 10 studio albums now as mm. of, you know, January of 2024. So when you go back to 1993, you think, okay, well, she's still in her embryonic stage of yeah. expressing herself as an artist. And you got to remember too, she was in the constraints of the PJ Harvey trio. She was in a three-piece band. Mm -hmm. At the time she recorded Rid of Me, the band was experiencing tension within the band, personality differences, what have you. Mm -hmm. And by the time that they had finished their 1992 fall tour, they went right into Pachyderm Studios with Steve Albini to record Rid of Me. It's like it was a nonstop snowball for her. And then they played a bunch of shows in 1993. And then by the end of 93, the tension became too much that the band had disintegrated where she decided to go her own way as well as the other musicians in the band. Mm -hmm. And that's how she became the solo artist that she was. Although she did continue to work with her drummer, Rob Ellis, on a number of projects and albums going forward. And talk about it being a productive stage. She released those four track demos in 93 as well. And then to bring you my love in 94. Four, I want to say, maybe 95? 1995. 95? Yep. Yeah, I mean, just pumping stuff out. And I got really into her at the time, particularly like the albums Dry, Rid of Me, and To Bring You My Love. And then I just kind of dropped off. I got rid of me from Columbia House, yet another Columbia House hall. But I really just kind of, as I got older, I got really into Screamo and other stuff. And I just kind of moved out of indie rock for a while. And I kind of like touched base with her periodically throughout my life. When she'd release a new album, I'd maybe listen to it a few times. If I ever wanted to listen to her, I pretty much put on this album, you know? And listening to it the last couple of weeks, I'm like, I've been doing myself a disservice. I got to dig into some of her later stuff because I know I've heard really positive reviews about stuff that she's been putting out all along. You mentioned that there was like a void of time where maybe you had listened to a record and then maybe you'd set it aside because she hadn't been releasing things in consecutive years and what have you. There was a time between 1995 and 1998, her next record, that mm -hmm. she apparently had some health issues between there, which forced her to stop production of her fourth record after To oh, Bring You My Love. And that. so... I think that's where the disconnect among some of her fans may have been because, you know, in that two-year period, to bring you my love, a Spin Magazine made her Artist of the Year for 1995, so she was starting to come up to a pinnacle then. Yeah. And because to bring you my love was such a change from rid of me stylistically, musically and everything, that I think she really wanted to make the next record after that something different as well that's the thing about pj harvey is every record sounds different than the one that was done previously she tends yeah. to not repeat her musical style and i think that speaks to her as not only a performance artist but just as an artist in general and how she uses colors on her palette mm. and that's when you come back to speak of rid of me just how raw and jagged this record is compared to all of the other albums that she's put out and it's 
perfect pairing for her and the band at the time to be working with Steve Albini. I feel like he really captured something here. And maybe that's also for me partly why it's the album I return to the most because it has an, well, kind of an Albini kind of feel, the guitar work even, it's all very gritty and raw and like droning, you know what I mean? And like driving. Yeah, yeah. She mentioned when doing the record with Steve Albini, she said that when Steve mics up the drums, it sounds like drums in a room. It doesn't sound over-processed mm-hmm. or over, you know, too much overproduction done in the studio, not too much gloss on it. When you listen back to the record, and you and I have shared similar instances the last few days about trying to recapture some of those memories, you know, because you know, I haven't listened to the full record in a little bit, mm-hmm. that when you're listening to it, like I said before, the music punches you in the face at times, yeah. and it feels like there's a buzzsaw going right through your headphones. I mean, if you've got it cranked up like I usually do, it's coming right through, and it's it's amazing the power that she was able to generate at that time. you got to remember, she was 23 years old when she recorded yeah. that record. There's a lot of emotion that's coming out of her at that time, and I think it translated well. And Steve Albini did a wonderful job, I think, in putting those songs in proper context. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that she must be a very old soul because what she's putting out lyrically on this album, it definitely seems like it's coming from someone who's experienced more than 23 years. What's your favorite song on this album? Well, it's a toss up, Travis. It's a toss up between two songs. You know, I thought about it. I don't really like one more than the other. Mm. And so it's kind of like, you know, a one A and a one B. I'd have to say Man Size and Rid of Me are my two favorite songs off of this record. And what's interesting about both of these, Travis, is that over the years that PJ Harvey has performed these songs live, she's done Man Size with a band, okay? And Rid of Me is usually by herself on stage. As her career has progressed, she was able to translate these songs with just herself and a guitar and a microphone on stage through the latter stages of her career until she set these songs aside. I think the last time she had played both of those songs was like in 2007 or 8, and then she set them down for a while. Mm. But back in the day, when you hear these songs with a full band, okay, just the energy and the power from a trio is what gets me. And that's why I'm such a fan of the power trio and bands. So Man Size is captured that way, but Rid of Me is different and just as well liked because it's just her. on stage or she's by herself with the guitar and i saw a performance of rid of me on the tonight show with jay leno back in 1993 and when she was done performing the song and she came down to sit next to jay leno and talk for a moment or two it's like the crowd was stunned it's like they didn't know what they had just <laughs> witnessed 
You know, here's this diminutive gal with a guitar and a microphone and she's just letting it rip. And I think she really like hit people hard with, wow. You know, and and most people thought, wow, but I think most people thought, what, what, you know, what did I just see? So that's why I like both of these songs. I think they speak emotionally a lot to the listener. Rid of Me is a bold and strong way to start off an album. You know, it really expresses the fact that she is a force of nature and she is dealing with some emotional and mental anguish that she's going to vent out in this album. If you're not grabbed by rid of me, then just go ahead and turn the album off. It's such a hook. In a lot of ways, it's one of the calmest songs on the album. Like you say, it's yeah, just her yeah. uh, for the most part. But it's also just like you can hear her lips parting as she speaks. You know what I mean? Like it's so intimate and up close, which Albini's always pretty good at that kind of stuff. Man Size is my favorite song on this album. It always has been. You know, here we are, two dudes talking about PJ Harvey and the extremely, like, it's... I know that she's loath to call it a feminist album, if that's how she feels, and great. But there's definitely, like, songs like Man Size, you know, talking about let it all hang out. (laughs) It's not necessarily intended to be funny, but there's definitely sexual commentary going on about power and all this stuff happening throughout the album, and that song is the most demonstrative of that theme. And it's also, I think, the song on the album that for me just, it's the one I think of when I think of the album. If I start singing a PJ Harvey song in my head, I'm coming out man size. That's what comes to my mind. Travis, that's what I think is probably the staying power of a song, right? You could listen to an album, put it down for a while, come back to it. And you remember when you put that record back on, it takes you immediately to like a specific song or two. And that's what this one does for me as well.
ironically, this is the only song from Rid of Me that PJ Harvey performed during her fall 2023 European tour hmm. from this record. So I think going forward, she mentioned that she'd like to do a North American tour in the fall of 24. I think this song will be part of the set list as part of the old songs that she performs. I think it still translates well. I think no matter what your age is or when you started listening to PJ Harvey, if you hear this song, you'll probably be more than inclined to investigate it if you don't know about it. Because like I said, the energy that speaks to this song, I think it crosses a number of generations. I think everyone can relate to it at some point, be it lyrically or be it musically in the energy that's projected. How do you feel about Man Size Sextet? I'm coming up man size, skinned alive, I want to fit, only got to get man sized. I'm heading on, handsome, got my leather boots on. That's my least favorite song. Okay, I had a really hard time picking my least favorite song on this album, but I debated yeah. that one. I decided not to go with that one because it's bold and it's imaginative, but I could definitely understand it being your least favorite. Yeah, I had a question for myself as well about thinking if there was a least favorite song on this record. And yeah, I debated for a little bit, but I figured because it kind of is duplicative in nature, okay, yep. and she's already done one version of this, I think the second version being a bit duplicative, I think for me qualified as going, okay, yeah, if I had to choose one, this has gotta be it because I don't necessarily think it fits the context of the album, mm. in my opinion, because of the different songs and, and kind of the energy that's coming from these. This one kind of stands out because of the strings and the background. So I kind of thought, well, if I had to give you a de facto least favorite, maybe that would be it. For all the same reasons, I consider yeah. that as well. I mean, it's cool and it's interesting, but it's not like a something you want to drive around your car and listen to necessarily. <laughs> and, you know, and it's also kind of like jarring a little bit. Yeah. I ended up going with Ecstasy as my least favorite song on the album. Not that it's a bad song by any stretch. I had a hard time picking a least favorite song because every song on here is good, including Ecstasy. But a last song on the album, my expectations are a little higher for a last song, I think is part of it. Like, bring it, bring something big for the end. And that one to me feels a little bit like, okay, now the album's over. Yeah, like I was thinking about much in the same way that you were. You know, if you really like an album, the thing is, is that you don't really want to pick a bad song. Yeah. You either like the album in its whole, because from front to back, it's telling a story. I mean, what is an album? An album is a snapshot of songs at that time in an artist's career. Mm -hmm. For performance-wise and maybe emotionally, 
maybe the artist isn't connected directly to the songs because a lot of times artists will step out and write from another perspective that necessarily is not their own. Yeah. And so when you listen to this from front to back, I think you get a general sense that all the songs together make perfect sense. And I guess maybe we're being a little picky if we decide that one isn't as good as the others. And that's on me because that's, you know, that's the <laughs> conceit that I have for the show. And it's kind of an unfair question, but I think it's one of the most important questions that I ask because it forces me and it forces, you know, any guests that I have on to think critically about the album. There's only ever been one time where I could not choose a weakest song. When I'm honest with myself, no matter how much I love the album, I can be like, every song is great, but such and such song, like this is the one that the quality dips down a little bit. But yeah, it is picky. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I think you're right. I would agree. And like you said, you know, if you listen to a lot of music, you tend to find your favorite artists and particular albums. And then all of a sudden you're sucked in thinking, hmm, I can't not like any of the songs. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, when you're in your car driving or you get your headphones on, you don't want to hit the skip button. You know, right. at least I don't, if no, I really, really am into an album. Yeah. And you sound like me. Like, it sounds like you listen to albums. You don't really do, like, playlists and shuffle and that kind of stuff. I'm an album guy. I mean, I come from that era where when you're buying a record, you know, whether mm -hmm. it was back in the day a cassette tape or a CD or an actual album, okay, and you're playing it, you want to hear everything from front to back. You don't really want to, like I said before, skip over anything because yeah. if songs make sense to you, a lot of times you'll have to listen to a song maybe two or three times to get the understanding of the song. Or if you really like it, you'll go back and you'll revisit it immediately because when you listen to a really great song, Travis, I'm, you might be the same way as me it gets you and you're thinking oh man it's almost like a drug you want more of it you want to listen to it and you don't want to put it down and i think as the years have gone by with certain records at least in my collection when mm -hmm. i go back and visit those albums again or particular songs on those records it takes you back to that feeling like i remember why i got this record yeah, and then also the songs that are maybe not the ones that you're like obsessed with, the ones like Man Size Sextet, the ones that are like sometimes kind of like off or like kind of throwaways, or the ones that you know would never have been a single. They're like something just like creative output. They help contextualize what the artists are doing. An album works as a whole, and that to me is so much more satisfying than any shuffle or anything like that. So what song did you decide was underrated? Well, if most people were listening to this album for the first time, Travis, I think they would probably just gloss right over the song and not give it a second thought. Mm. I think the song Mist is my most underrated song on the whole record. Me too.
This song is so interesting, Travis, because it starts off with a jangly riff, okay? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a sneaky riff that starts. And seeing her play live, she played this with a Fender Telecaster. Oh. So what I think this song tries to convey emotionally, you can hear in the different vocal levels that PJ goes through. Her range on this song is amazing because she'll start off just kind of, you know, melancholy, but then her voice, her vocal range goes up and then it comes back down through the song. And all that time, that one riff is intertwining through the whole song. And it's not too much in your face. Mm -hmm. It just kind of sits there. So when you listen to it, you're thinking, do I like this song or don't I like this song? And so the first time I heard it, I said, hmm, I'm not sure what to make of it. So I listened to it again. And then I saw a YouTube performance that she did on, I think her 1998 tour. And I finally got it when I saw the visual performance. Says, okay, I'm watching her perform the song. I'm seeing the reactions on her face, mm -hmm. what the song means to her when she's performing it. And then I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm like, man, if people are going to listen to that record, they might even skip over the song because either they don't understand it or they don't really care for the riff that's going on behind, you know? Yeah, and it comes right after Rid of Me, which is, like you said about the audience at the Jay Leno show, like, it kind of leaves you kind of like, oh, like, what the fuck just happened? And, you know, I've been listening to this album for 30 years, and if I was to name the tracks off the top of my head, Mist wouldn't have even come to mind. I would have mentioned Yuri G, I would have mentioned maybe Snake, you know, I would have mentioned uh, a few songs on this album that I thought were going to be my second favorite or whatever. But listening to it over the last few days, I was like, how the fuck have I been sleeping on this song? Because I've heard it dozens and dozens of, or more times. And then again, like maybe because I was looking for an underrated song because of the conceit of the show, I was like, this is clearly the one that I've been sleeping on that I've not been given proper attention to. It's so emotional. I think that it's probably the hardest hitting song on the album for me in terms of like emotional jolt. Yeah, I would say, Travis, if I were giving this record to someone who hadn't listened to it before, I would tell them, I would say, if you're going to pay attention to a song, it would be this one because, excuse the pun, if you missed the song the first wah, time wah. you listened to the record, <laughs> yeah. you definitely got to hear this one because, like you said, it's different than a lot of the other songs emotionally. It's mm. still raw, okay, but it kind of just sits there and it's left to interpretation. So you have to listen to it and then maybe listen to it again to mm. get what she says. I think. It took me three or four times to listen to it, honestly, to get the full context of the song before I said, man, I really, really like this when it grew on. Yeah, it's kind of a subtle song compared to, you know, the screaming and the shouting and all the stuff that she's going through and a lot of the other stuff that's paired with these grimy, like, rocking riffs that are easily grabbing you. And that, that stuff is going to get your attention very easily, whereas Mist is a lot more like uh, of a, a meditation on like a, on a feeling. Yeah, and in her concerts, I'm always amazed in watching past concerts of hers, how she's able to translate the emotions and these feelings through all of these different ranges of songs, okay? Mm. And 
she's got to be selective on the songs and the order the songs are played. And much like, you know, they list them on the track listing on a record, but even live too. Yeah. The way that these songs are played, you know, from past concerts, very well thought out is how she moves from one emotion to the next. And then you kind of are able to let the song sink in before she hits you with something different afterwards. Yeah. She takes her listeners on a ride. She really knows what she's doing with her songwriting. What song do you want to use to go out on for this episode? You know what? I'll leave it up to you. Whatever one you think is appropriate to lead out with, how about we could work on that? I think that'd be a good angle to take. (laughs) You're not picky. Okay. You've seen her live? Uh, I'd like to see her live. There were so many chances back in the day to see her. I never got an opportunity to do so. She's supposed to tour North America in the fall of 24 here. And if she happens to come close enough to the area where I'm able to see her, I'd like to. Because this new tour that she's got going on with her latest record, I Inside the Old You're Dying, is amazing. I've seen performances on YouTube where she splits the concert into two halves. Mm. The first half, she plays all the songs off the new record. And then the second half, after a brief break, she'll play uh, a lot of the old favorites from all the different albums in the past. That's cool. She's so storied now at this point. I mean, there's so many albums. It would be great to see her. Yeah, I want to see her too if she goes on tour. Absolutely. I think everything from the stage design to the dresses that she wears to the instruments that, you know, she's playing her Gibson Firebird on this tour. Uh She's very, very particular as to how she wants to present the music. And I think it, you know, from all those little details, I think just the small details inside the context of a concert would make me want to go see it. And I probably wouldn't care what she played. I think visually you'd want to see it. Yeah. And it'd be one for the bucket list just to strike it off to get to see her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. So I always end my interview with questions that are kind of unrelated to the topic that we've been at. Here's my question before I give you the actual question. How familiar are you with the work of Steve Albini? Could you talk about some of the other stuff that he's done in terms of bands and stuff that he's produced? I'm familiar with what he does, but it's limited. And I'll say that. I think my two favorite records that he had done from bands that I've listened to, Mm -hmm. and honestly... One is rid of me and the other one is Nirvana's in utero. Beyond that, I'm kind of touch and go with the rest of his work. I do know Steve Albini within the context of how he works with bands Mm -hmm. and the process that he goes through. And I think his process is very unique and it's very original. And I think that's why bands like to work with him because not only does he give them creative freedom, but there's a raw honesty that comes from him when bands are in the studio. And that's all bands are looking for is, hey, Make us sound like we do on stage. Make us sound honest and truthful with our Mm -hmm. music when it's put down on record. And I think that's why a lot of artists respect Steve Albini. Yeah, I know that this was the album, Rid of Me was the album that he sent to Kurt Cobain. Like, hey, if you want to get a sense of what I would do if I recorded you, it would sound something like this. Are you familiar with uh, his band Shellac? Have you ever heard them? I've heard of them, but I've not had a chance to delve into their music. Okay, because they released At Action Park in 94, which is really great. But let's just talk about albums that he produced then. In 1993, he also produced, uncredited, the album Bear Catching Fish from Engine Kid, which is a really great album. Don Caballero, who I've heard of, but I couldn't tell you anything about. 
Um, Jawbreaker, definitely a lot of Jawbreaker fans out there. Yeah, Jawbreaker toured with Nirvana in 93 and 94. You're probably alluding to that record from 1994 there. That was probably one of their best releases. It was 93, 24-hour okay. revenge yep. therapy, yeah. Yep. Um, he also did, in 93, he did Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet's album, Sport Fishing. Remember them? Did you ever get in there? Uh, I'd have to go back in my in my brain ways because it's been a while. They were the band that did the opening instrumental to Kids in the Hall. Is it all the music for Kids in the Hall? Okay, yeah. See, I haven't seen Kids in the Hall in a while, so if I went back and watched that, I'd probably be familiarized with it again. Yeah. Right on. Uh, Michigan band Mule, Silkworm, and um, that was pretty much... Oh, and then the Beavis and Butthead Experience, a compilation album released in 93 that he, <laughs> he produced. Yeah, that's right. You remember that? Yeah, Nirvana contributed the song I Hate Myself and Want to Die on. That's that. right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I guess my question then is out of these albums, is there, other than Nirvana and PJ Harvey, is there any band that you would want to listen to the most out of the stuff that you released in 93? Yeah, you know, I, I think I'd want to go back and revisit that Jawbreaker album yeah. because I know that the level of respectability that Steve Albini had that he put on that record for Jawbreaker made a lot of people like them and it brought jawbreaker to prominence and it kind of expanded their fan base and i think that's probably one record i want to revisit because i think when you put a producer and a band together and they create this magic something organic happens you can't really put your finger on it until you actually listen to the album or mm -hmm. maybe see the band live then you kind of get the idea of oh this is the context of the record at that time mm. and i think that's probably the record i'd go back and revisit. right on well, Mike, thank you so much for doing this with me, man. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your morning to sit here and talk about this with me. I look forward to checking out your band for sure. Thanks, Travis. This was awesome, man. I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to be able to talk with you. And yeah, going forward, things are going to be really great and interesting musically. So and it'll be great to touch base with you. And uh, moving forward, hey, there's a lot of good opportunities out there, especially for you and your podcasts and everything. And I think, you know, sky's the limit this year for everybody. <laughs> fucking hey i hear that definitely check out his don't tell me hang on snap cat right yeah there you go snap cat and then i forgot the third word shit bandits snap cat bandits oh like there you bandits. go okay snap cat bandits check out snap cat bandits fabulous travis thanks again brother i appreciate the time and have yourself a great weekend man thanks man you too great talking to you take care you too man take care buddy thank you Thanks again to Mike Kropinski for coming on the show. Check out his band, Snapcat Bandits. They're on Spotify. They're all over the place, wherever you want to find music. This song here is Chasing Shadows.
I just like to test in life is having to go out there and like self-promote do that kind of stuff i've had to do that in bands i've had to do that with podcasts varying levels of success and commitment to doing it you know who wants to fucking hustle and sell themselves i'm not really trying to do that anymore because i've accepted that this show is just pure hobby i mean i want listeners don't get me wrong by all means share my show please share my show but I'm not trying to like make it with this because I'm never going to make money off of this. This I've claimed repeatedly. This is not something that I'm monetizing. That said, you got to respect the hustle. You know, Mike is right. You got to go out there and uh, find whatever avenues you can to kind of bring listeners in. And being on podcasts is one way to do it. Maybe you got something you're trying to shill. <laughs> I said, is shill like a is that like a dirty word does that sound like i don't respect what you're doing because i'm shilling my podcast right now literally trying to like cajole people into coming onto the show so I, I there's no judgment here not like against okay there's judgment against shilling in general it's art we're trying to create art here mike is a musician he shouldn't have to go out there and shill and podcasting is sort of an art. I don't know. It's a blowhard with a microphone, I guess. But all the same, you know, everybody's got to serve somebody, as Bob once said. So here we are. If you want to come on the show and plug something, or maybe you just want to come on the show because you like the show, or maybe you just want to try something different, or maybe you know somebody that you think would be a good match to be on the show. There's all kinds of albums that we haven't got to yet that were released in 93, 94. There were a few mentioned on this episode, Shellax at Action Park and some of the other stuff that PJ Harvey put out. Or maybe there's some other album you want to come on and do. I'm open. I'm Just let me know. You can email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, yeah, please rate and review the show. You know, there I am, shilling. <laughs> uh, fuck. All right, we're going to leave it right there. That seems appropriate. Take her easy. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy, is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.